Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Right. Hello, everyone. And uh, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Um, today, about 12.43, I believe, the European Parliament's position on the Artificial Intelligence Act was adopted in plenary with a large majority. And all of this is perfectly consistent with our will to be world leaders in digital innovation based on EU values such as privacy and respect for fundamental rights. I think we can all be proud of ourselves. Europe is leading and will continue to lead in AI legislation. I will just make a couple of... That's members of the European Parliament and President Roberta Metzola this week in Strasbourg marking a landmark vote on the Artificial Intelligence Act. Artificial intelligence and its newest incarnation, generative AI, is being viewed as the next big revolution in tech. Its uses and potential are frankly mind-boggling. This week, Paul McCartney told the BBC that he's employing AI to help create what he's describing as the final Beatles record. We were able to take John's voice and get it pure through this AI so that then we could mix the record as you would normally do. You know, so it, it, gives, you, it gives you some sort of uh, leeway. So there's a good side to it and then a scary side. And uh, we'll just have to see where that leads. And in Paris, the famed Notre Dame Cathedral Roof is being rebuilt with the help of AI through modelling software pioneered by Autodesk. But in Brussels and Strasbourg, it's the latest headache for lawmakers who are worried about some of the more nefarious uses of AI by individuals, businesses and governments. As you heard at the top of the podcast, the European Parliament took a big step this week, voting for the first time on a new sweeping piece of legislation called the Artificial Intelligence Act. And today on the podcast, European Commissioner Thierry Breton, who's in charge of the internal market, will explain the goal of this AI Act, which is being heralded as the first of its kind worldwide. We don't have the ambition to say that uh, it's perfect, of course, nothing is perfect. But at least it is the beginning of some uh, rules. We tried to do this um, as proportionate as possible. I'm Suzanne Lynch, Political's Chief Brussels Correspondent, and I'm coming to you from the European Parliament in Strasbourg this week. I'm joined on the panel by Aoife White, Political's Technology and Competition Editor, and our Chief Technology Correspondent, Mark Scott. Mark, you have been covering tech a long time. You've seen all the different trends come and go. 
AI, artificial intelligence, this is now kind of the buzz phrase we're all hearing about and regulators are scrambling to respond. Explain to us in simple terms, I mean, what is AI? I mean, that is now the $64 million question, what is AI? I think we need to sort of take away the mysticism of this and look at what it really does. So AI is basically automated things that humans do already. So that could be texting, it can be photos, it could be whatever. All it is is giving those things that we do on a regular basis to a computer to automate that. And that's kind of the underlying premise of AI. Anything that a human can do, a computer can do, probably faster, quicker, and sometimes worse, depending on how it goes. But the pace of this has been pretty phenomenal. I remember I was at Davos earlier this year in January and people were beginning to speak about it. I saw people there out with their phones showing me ChatGPT, but there was a sense this was really emerging and at a very fast pace. Yeah, I mean, I think, so I was there back in 07 when the iPhone came and I think really uh, sort of the iPhone moment for AI was ChatGPT because that was sort of came out in the fall in November last year and it was a real wake-up call because AI has been around since the 50s. This is not new, but ChatGPT really was sort of the first public use case that people could really get their heads around because AI is kind of weird and wonky and difficult to understand but ChatGPT turning in you know I type in a you know a question and it comes back with sort of human-like language was really something that you know the average person could understand rather than sort of the wonkiness that AI can become. Mm. Aoife I mean how has the European Union responded to this? This is very much a work in progress as we know but there has been quite a lot of activity on the EU side. Well, you know, the European Union answer to almost anything is to regulate it. And one of the first things they wanted to say about this was that they needed to get ahead and that they needed to come up with some principle-based approach, that we needed to have an idea of what AI should be, what kind of guiding principles there should be for how AI should work, which is all fine in principle. The only thing is that since the AI Act was proposed, a lot has happened. I mean, ChatGPT has has come along and become a mass tool that is, is used all the time. And so these, these questions have really sped up. We're still waiting for the law to hit the books. And if it's approved, it would take another two years before we see it actually come into action. And it's it's generally, it, there's nothing shocking in there. It's just saying, think about ethics, think about bias. Um, we've seen some cases of that where you can have some of the programs that are trained on pretty awful things that people say on internet comments can regenerate that. So you need to be very careful with how you build AI since it learns on the data, what data are you using and what will it come out of it at the end of it. So Mark, explain to us then about this AI Act. This is the European Union, the European Commission's response to this developing technology. So the Europeans, as Eva said, love to regulate and they see themselves as the West's digital police officer in terms of competition and privacy. And the most recent thing is AI. So they've been coming together, both the commission, now we have the parliament this week, looking at these prescriptive rules that frankly are already out of date. They've been working on these things for three years. And as Eva mentioned, ChatGPT has shown a massive ChatGPT hole in the way the Europeans look at this because they didn't know it was coming. And all of a sudden these principles-based approach that they are doing looks antiquated because ChatGPT, in, at least in the commission's version of this, wasn't included. And therefore, if all of a sudden people from me to my grandmother are using ChatGPT and that is not part of the European Union's regulatory response, there's a big problem. So, Mark, you were explaining there about a principle-based approach. Elaborate on that a bit for us. Yeah, apologies. Sometimes my, my one quick gets ahead of me. So, principles-based is 
basically saying we believe in fairness, we believe in transparency, we believe in openness. These are principles that, as a Western democracy, we all agree on. So the idea is to bake in those principles of fairness, transparency, openness, the rule of law, respect for privacy. All those principles should be baked into this legislation rather than saying we want this legislation to do X, Y, and Z. If it's too prescriptive, as we found with ChatGPT, you all of a sudden are making rules for the last issue, not the issue that's coming up. So principles based is basically just baking in overwhelmingly you know, international Western views of democracy into how the legislation works. So when this AI Act finally comes into play, will it be obligatory on companies? Where is it going to fall to implement? Who is going to be responsible for implementing these new rules? So in, in essence, it's any company based in the Europe who have users in the European Union have to sign up to this. So that is the open AIs who created ChatGPT. It's the Googles, it's the Microsoft, it's the equivalent of the, you know, anyone in, in the European tech sector who's doing the same thing. And they have to make sure that they follow these fundamental rights of privacy and openness and transparency. And then in certain use cases, the ones that we really think are really, really bad, the example given often is the the Chinese are using AI to create a social score for all their citizens to say who's a good and bad citizen. That's not something, as in the democracy, we really want to be allowing. So that type of use case is going to be outlawed within the AI Act and therefore all the companies who are using this technology within the EU will have to sign up and follow the law. Now, obviously, the corporate world, tech companies have something to say about this. We caught up with Victoria Espinel earlier. She's president and CEO at BSA, the Software Alliance. That's a software industry trade group. So, Victoria, maybe you could tell us a bit about your company's perspective on these efforts by the European Union to regulate this very evolving area of of tech. Thank you. So our companies are the enterprise facing part of the tech industry. Our companies sell their products, including artificial intelligence, to other companies and other industry sectors to help them do what they do better. So we have some companies like Salesforce and IBM and Microsoft and Oracle that are quite large. And then we have other companies that are smaller, but growing fast. So like Databricks and Atlassian. And um, so we, we have a whole range of companies and we've been very engaged globally, including in Europe on regulation of AI. And our view is that regulation is needed. If we are talking about high risk uses of artificial intelligence, consequential decisions, we believe regulation is helpful. I can talk a little bit specifically about the EU AI Act. So as you know, it is the first of its kind in terms of being a horizontal regulatory approach on artificial intelligence. It's very ambitious. We are supportive of the risk-based approach that the European Commission has taken. We think that's very important. And we hope that that is confirmed in the upcoming Trilog negotiations. I think one of the really important aspects of the EU AI Act, and this will be true of any country that moves AI regulation forward, is making sure that there's an appropriate allocation of roles and responsibilities. So the way that AI is used and developed, it's a very diverse ecosystem of companies that are involved in the creation and then the deployment and use of artificial intelligence and making sure that regulation understands that and gets that right in terms of what types of companies should have what types of roles and responsibilities is very important. So in other words, kind of where the burden falls in terms of this regulatory responsibility. 
Exactly. The development and then the use of AI, and maybe even more so in the B2B context, it's very diverse in terms of the types of uses and the use cases. So making sure that there's a clear understanding of where the burden should lie, what kinds of companies can appropriately take on what kinds of responsibilities is very important. We know that the EU has kind of sees itself at the forefront of regulation in this area. It has done for some time. The idea of the Brussels effect, that once Brussels does something, once the EU single market kind of moves on something, other people follow. I mean, do you concur with that view? What we would like to see is for the world to act. So I do concur that countries will be looking to Europe. I'd like to see them look to the U.S. And what I mean by that is that I would like to see the U.S. move as well. So we are working very actively with legislators in the United States to encourage them to pass legislation in the United States that would also focus on high risk and consequential uses of artificial intelligence. I think if the U.S. and the EU move together in terms of having a similar approach, and to be clear, I don't mean identical. We have different legal systems. We have But in terms of having a similar interoperable approach, I think that's very powerful as an example to other countries that will then also be looking to move AI regulation in their countries. AI is an issue right now where I think almost every government around the world is thinking about it. And some are very actively considering what their steps are going to be. So what happens in Europe is important, not just for the European market, but as a signal to, and as an example to the rest of the world. And that was Victoria Espinel representing BSA, the Software Alliance. Of course, it is worth mentioning that industry always says that it wants to work with regulators when it comes to to new technology. And indeed, a lot of the MEPs this week in Strasbourg have made the point here that this is only the beginning of the legislative process and they do expect a lot of lobbying, a lot of representations from industry who in different ways may want to water down the legislation. But Aoife, turning back to you, This is not the first or the last time uh, the EU has moved quickly to try and regulate the whole tech world. Uh, I remember around 10 years ago, the big conversation was how to regulate these big US tech companies. Uh, We had the GDPR, that privacy regulation, which put Europe at the forefront. Is this another example of the EU trying to take the initiative and trying to push through? and, And is that a good thing? Well, I think they did try to give them some credit. I think the European Commission has tried to keep this very open. I mean, this is why they fell in love with the idea of having a set of principles. You're not too prescriptive. The problem is that once those go through the sausage making machine, those principles often become very prescriptive, which is what we're seeing. Is this the first time that we've seen big tech be regulated? No. And it's a very open question. And a lot of it still goes back to the very basic question of, is it regulation versus innovation? Uh, we know that in Europe, to start a business, you need to have a compliance officer. You need to check all kinds of things. It's it's not the Wild West. And there is a certain kind of creative and dynamism from the Wild West system where you can just try out an idea. I mean, you couldn't just take a, your self-driving car and drive around Brussels, for example. We do see those in San Francisco. Does this matter? Possibly. I mean, the AI is something where there are a lot of potential things you could use it for. Our companies are more cautious about how they innovate in Europe. Maybe they pick something very narrow. Maybe they don't go for the blue sky. Let's just go out there and see where it can go. Is this damaging for the Brussels tech scene? I don't know. This is for for the European tech scene. That is something where when you ask European officials, they will say, but we are, we're creating responsible innovation. The firms that we generate will have rules baked in from the very beginning. That is very much an open question whether that works. 
whether that is something that is a, the way we should go. Certainly when you see something like the Italian Data Protection Authority, as it did a few weeks ago, ban ChatGPT until it had some answers on how it worked, that doesn't really send a great signal. You know, you know, be careful what you innovate because you might suddenly get a crushing ban come down on it. Maybe the, the, on the other side of it, you could say that the, maybe the European Commission has a point that the kind of things that we are is that when we do gen- come up with something, when there is an innovation, it's a responsible innovation and it meets all the rules before it starts walking. I mean, you're touching on a, on a big theme there, which is this kind of difference in perspective between the United States and Europe when it comes to regulation and particularly tech regulation. Back, you know, again, around a decade ago, we even had, you know, leaders like President Obama criticising the EU at that time for some of the moves they were doing around tech regulation. Sometimes the European response here is more commercially driven than anything else. As I said, there are some countries like Germany, given its history with the Stasi, that are very sensitive to these issues. But sometimes they're vendors, uh, they're service providers who... You know, can't compete with ours, uh, are essentially trying to set up uh, some roadblocks for our companies to operate effectively there. We, we have owned the Internet. Because company. the reality is that most of these companies that are being regulated are American companies. They're not the EU companies. You know, I mean, America, Silicon Valley has been in the ascendant when it comes to tech development and innovation since the start of, of the tech boom. Mark? I see this a lot as, as FOMO from both sides, the fear of missing out. On the European side, everyone wants to have, create the next Microsoft or Google. But when I'm in the US and I talk to US citizens as well as lawmakers, they look at Europe and go, oh, I wish we had that regulation. So I sometimes think there's a sort of a, somewhere in the middle in the Atlantic, there's a perfect spot where you have some form of regulation, but also some form of innovation. And I think sometimes the Europeans get too caught up with that we need to create the next Google and the Americans get caught up with like we need to create the next European regulatory regime when in reality it's somewhere in the middle and neither side has it right but neither has it wrong either. Finally Mark can you talk us through I mean what's next in terms of the EU response now? It is still going to be some time until this AI Act is going to be introduced. What happens in the meantime? Ah, yes. The what next question. So I I think it comes down to, you know, look at the time frame. We have at least two more years, so 2026 at the earliest, before the AI Act comes into play. So there's a lot can happen in the next two years. So what people like Thierry Breton, the European Internal Markets Commissioner, wants to do is bring forward some of the AI Act principles and get the companies to sign up to a voluntary code to say, okay, fine, the AI Act's coming. We'll do that before it actually comes into play. So there's that going on. There's an also an effort within the G7 countries, ironically also run by the commission through Margrethe Vestager, to create some sort of global voluntary rule book to equally get the companies to sign up to do something. But I think everyone is misunderstanding to think that this is going to be solved quickly. This is going to be a long-term process. The problem is the technology is moving within months, if not weeks, and politicians are frantically looking around saying, we need to be seen to be doing something. But are they, are they actually doing something? Only time will tell. Okay, Eva, Mark, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. EU Commissioner Thierry Breton is with us right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this week was a big week for AI, with the European Parliament voting for the first time on the AI Act. That's a new piece of legislation that's been brought forward by the European Commission. It is worth noting that the Parliament did introduce some amendments, for example, banning the use of real-time biometric identification systems in public spaces. And of course, this is just the start of the process now. Uh, The Parliament will enter so-called trilogues, that's negotiations with member states, European Council, to try and get a final version of this Act. And even if all the EU institutions do reach agreement on this, it still is not expected to come into effect until 2026. Now, to learn more about the AI Act, uh, its origins, what it aims to achieve, I sat down with EU Commissioner Thierry Breton this week in Strasbourg. Commissioner, thanks very much for joining us on EU Confidential. I know you're a regular listener to the show. Yes. Um, But we're here to talk to you today about AI. This is very much the topic du jour. Uh, The EU is doing a lot in this space. Can you explain to us what is the purpose of the EU's actions on AI, the AI Act, and what are you hoping to achieve? First, I think it's important for uh, your audience to understand that we have been working on this since my first day in the Commission. In other words, almost four years ago. We started our approach to organize, regulate our digital space by AI, then we did DSA, then DMA, DGA, Data Act. In other words, it is part of our approach to have a global regulation in our now digital space. In other words, internal market in digital. So for AI, it's extremely complex, of course. It took us four years to go where we are. It is a risk-based approach. In other words, it's extremely important with this kind of technology to have, um, let's say, regulation which will be able to evolve, of course. That's why it's a horizontal regulation based on risk. In other words, for AI, you could have some applications without any risk. We could have applications with some dedicated risk, like, for example, uh, uh, let's say, generative AI. We need to know when you have uh, an image or a text if it has been uh, done by AI or not. You could have some more high-risk applications uh, where we need to know what kind of data uh, you have been used in the, what kind of data set to train your algorithm and then to be able to use a recommendation using AI to read, for example, a radio or whatever. 
And then you have the fourth one, which is just forbidden, like, for example, social scoring. So this is a risk-based regulation where, and that's my final point, I have been always pushing the teams to say that an AI application is three major things. First, data. Second, algorithm. And then, computing power to train the algorithm. What are the data that you are using? For the largest majority of data uh, of applications, I mean, you don't need to know. But when you go up to the risk level that I just described, you may need exactly what are these data, and in some cases, to make sure that they are run and processed in Europe because we want to be able to control what is in it for the security of our fellow citizens. Just one clarification there, you mentioned social scoring. What do you mean by that? Social scoring is something that uh, the Chinese are doing extremely often, which is saying that, uh, oh, Mr. Breton, you have done this and that and that in your life. We kept track of this, so you are not able anymore to be a doctor or a truck driver or whatever, because we keep track of what you have done. By the way, you have been uh, this thing, you didn't pay uh, the tax on purpose, uh, you had a fine or whatever, so you're not able to travel or things like that. Things that the Chinese are doing, following, again, the trace that uh, you live in the digital space. And we know that when you are moving the digital space, while well, doing things, buying things, doing things, of course, you can keep track forever using this to, let's say, control your future. We believe in Europe that our future is in the hand, of course, of our fellow citizens. Mm, so that's the kind of high risk. That's, that's an example of high risk, yes. Yeah. Commissioner, you are a member of the Commission who talks a lot about the economy, about the need for innovation, the need for Europe to strengthen its industrial and innovative capacities. What about the argument that the EU or the Commission is getting too involved in regulation, that this could maybe stifle innovation, this could maybe put off companies or developers or innovators when the EU is, as some people would say, meddling in this kind of business? You know, all my life I worked in uh, more or less in technology. And this is a very sensitive subject. But it's true also that, to answer to your question, uh, that now we are spending sometime, most of our time, in the digital space. So the question was, in this digital space, what kind of rules we should put just because, as politicians and as a society as a whole, it took us centuries to build the society the way it is. And of course, the rule of law, which is the foundation of our uh, living together in Europe. But of course, we need to be able to transform this also in this space. I wrote many books when I was young on this subject. So I think it's extremely important. And it's important also to give these directions to the companies in this digital space. So to the contrary, I have been running companies myself. And I think it's extremely important to understand when you operate in a country, what are the the constraints that are mandatory in this or that country. And then, of course, We adapt ourselves, we adapt our product, and we invent new ways to fulfill these obligations. Let me give you an example. If I take the automotive industry uh, back in the past uh, century, 
It has been a revolution. Uh, we all know that. We learned this in our history book. At the beginning, it was just fantastic. Give you the opportunity to have the freedom to move, going everywhere, and everybody was driving this car without having a driving license. Then we realized that it could be a little bit dangerous. So many members, maybe states, decided that it's important to have driving license. Not of course at the same time. I remember when I was young, it was no driving license still required in in Belgium, by the way. But so at the end of the day, they all did it. Uh, then we realized that you could still have accidents. So we put some regulation on the road. Could it be speed limit? Could be a traffic light? Uh, and of course, it's a regulation. And uh, this has not the ambition to stop all accidents, but to, to reduce the risk. And at the end of the day, we invented airbags, we invented protections, uh, we invented just to adapt ourselves to this regulation, living together with a new tool, technology, which will bring a lot to the human being. If I take the analogy, For AI, it is the same thing. We put now some risk and we say, look, if you want to operate, and you are welcome, when I say you, it's of course European companies, but also non-European companies, to operate in Europe. But these are our guidelines. So look, in Europe, we are driving on the right side of the road. Sorry if uh, you build cars for the left side, but for us, it's right side. You will adapt yourself. You described yourself to one of my colleagues uh, in recent weeks as the enforcer. And in terms of digital regulation and the digital space, what is your message to you know, non-EU companies and non-EU operators who are worried about that level of enforcement? Here again, my role here is to make sure that the law, which has been voted by our co-legislators to organize our digital space, are well understood by everybody who like to enjoy, to have access to the largest digital market of the free world. And of course, my role is to make sure that they understand these rules. So of course, my, my mission was first to explain to, if we take the DSA, for example, as you know. That's the, the DSA, Digital Services Act. Yes. yes, the Digital Services Act will start to be enforceable on August 25th, this year. And uh, we have identified today 19 platforms. Some are US, some are Asian, some are Europeans, which will have to uh, fulfill uh, these new uh, requirements to continue to operate in Europe. And my mission, as of course the enforcer starting 25th of August, is to make sure that all the companies that will have to fulfill this uh, regulation understand what it is and be prepared. Of course, I really hope that we will not have to enforce. I hope that everyone will understand that we are driving on the right side of the road in Europe. And also to explain that we will have, by law, the capacity, if we see that there is an infringement or, or an issue, to ask uh, to the platform to correct it immediately, to go also with a dedicated team to make some uh, audit, if we believe it's necessary, to see how they prepare themselves, how they can correct something uh, which is not in compliance with our rules and regulation. In between, I proposed to all these platforms to conduct some um, stress test, audit, 
before to uh, so them to understand what we will do. I will make uh, one of them in um, California uh, next week for uh, Twitter. And Elon Musk uh, agreed to get more familiar with uh, what we will uh, require in order to be prepared. Final question. One worry for some analysts looking at this emerging EU regulation on the whole area of AI is the fact that it is changing so rapidly. You've already got ChatGBT and there's a danger that the EU regulation will already be out of date by the time it's introduced. What would you say to that criticism? We didn't wait ChatGPT to uh, this new um, evolution, revolution coming from uh, artificial intelligence. When I was young, I wrote myself three novels to try to put in motion what I saw. It was in 1984, 1985, or 6, and 1987. So it's a long time ago already. But I wrote these three novels. The first one uh, was Soft War. It was the first one explaining how you could use computer virus to a new kind of war between US and, and at that time, Soviet Union. Second one was called the Pencos Project, using uh, new programs, artificial intelligence, to um, uh, use uh, the Pope and having the Pope saying fake uh, news using to change the world. And the third one, Network, was about a young generation, a new generation of uh, billionaires coming from this industry, which could change the world. So my point here is that, of course, uh, it's not new. And this is why I thought a lot about this even before becoming a commissioner. And I think the best way is to have an horizontal uh, regulation like we did for DSA, like we do for DMA, uh, like we will do for AI, where, of course, we try to do this for AI risk-based again. And if we see that something new will happen, we will always be able to plug a new uh, dedicated act in the future if it's needed on this horizontal But of course, it's not because it is evolving. At the end of the day, regarding just said, it's evolving, but you can try also to anticipate where you see the biggest risk. So we don't have the ambition to say that uh, it's perfect. Of course, nothing is perfect. But at least it is the beginning of some uh, rules. We tried to do this um, as proportionate as possible. It's extremely important because now companies will know where they need to focus and what will be forbidden in Europe. So we'll know exactly where focus their effort and also use this regulation to be always and even more innovative. Pierre Breton, thank you very much for joining us and keep listening. Thank you very much. And that's all the time we have this week on EU Confidential. Be sure to follow the show on your favourite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. And if you have ideas for guests or topics, please do get in touch. You can email us directly at podcast at politico.eu. This week's episode was produced and edited by our executive producer for audio, Christina Gonzalez. And I'm Suzanne Lynch, coming to you from the European Parliament in Strasbourg. See you next week back in Brussels. <laughs>